This is Thomas DePolo. This is Max. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. So we have offered advice about a lot of things, and uh, we, we were going to delve into the world of NPC creation, you know, how-to, pitfalls, our our expert advice that no one should listen to, none of us are experts, etc. Now, if you're, list- if you're looking for expert advice, why are you listening to this show? Look, I see us pointed to as experts in the field uh, often on on social media. So we're doing we're doing. Something I will right. say that this group here is probably in the ninety fifth percentile of number of Delta Green games run. True on yeah. planet Earth. I don't know. Maybe maybe Glancy back in the day. The only guys who have done more are those guys over at the Green Box Podcast. Man, those guys are fucking champs. Yeah, yeah. actual. That, they do all the actual plays. Yeah, yeah, they do. Man, those those locked accounts. You just know they're hiding the good posts in there. <laughs> so yeah i wanted to do this episode because people keep saying like like people will will like different parts of different people's games one of the things that people keep telling me is that they like the npcs and the tricks that i use to make npcs fun are usually pretty simple and very easy for other i don't know very easy but easy enough for other people to apply in their own games this is a handler-facing section on how to make your NPCs more memorable, more fun, easier to generate, more useful to you. Yes. Yeah, so what's your what's your basic philosophy? My basic philosophy is when you make an NPC, think of the worst thing that they've ever done and write that down, and then come up with reasons why you still like them and why they're interesting. And it's it in two sentences you have already created a character that is both appropriate tonally for Delta Green and also fun and memorable. Yeah, I was, was going to say that that still work for good guy NPCs, but like even the good guys have skeletons. Yes. One thing that Delta Green wants to do is it wants to have this interplay between good people who are doing all kinds of bad things and bad characters with sympathetic qualities that makes it harder to just gun them down. They want to show the degradation of people who are involved in mythos activities and fighting mythos activities from sane and normal to paranoid and dangerous. And in order for that to work, you need to bait the trap effectively by having reasons to like and care about characters instead of just blowing them away the first moment you encounter them. Because we kvetched about, maybe I did, you guys were more moderate in your opinions, I was kvetching about Labyrinth and how it attempts to have these NPCs that are traps that seem helpful and then grow more malignant as you interact with them. But in my feeling, the trap was not baited so effectively. And so, since I should be more constructive... Part of this exercise is how do you make the candy a little sweeter to ensure that people eat it? Yeah, and I think you know, thinking of the worst thing they've ever done and the why you select them is a really, really solid philosophy. If I was going to kind of distill that, or if I was going to kind of add to that, I'd say you know, obviously you're writing this NPC because it has a reason to fit in your scenario. So there's there's the obvious motivation they're going to have is how they interact with your scenario. But think about what their motivations might be outside of the, the sandbox of your scenario, like what makes them tick. 
you know, why are they doing the things they've done? Why did they do that worse than they ever did? Or, you know, were they, for, were they forced into it or was it their idea or, you know, whatever the case may be. So try to figure out some like motivations that are global, not just, oh, you know, they're, they're here to steal the secret tablet because they want to sell it for money. You know, it's cool for like a secret tablet scenario, but it's not cool for like why this guy, you know, exists in the world. Yes. And motivations are great. Motivations can help you figure out how a character should be have in a given scenario they especially which is especially good if if something unexpected happens they make your situations more interesting than zero sand cultists that fight to the death and are just knocked down with firearms rolls and then what comes along with motivations is a modus operandi or tactics which in addition to telling you what the character wants will also tell you how they might behave in a given situation and that can double for both, you know, how they're going to behave, use any special powers they have in combat, but also what they do in response to the players doing things. Yeah, I really like that. Because I'm pretty good about putting combat tactics in, but I'm, I usually skimp on the non-combat tactics. But it's useful to know, is this guy going to be, is he going to try to, like, talk to the players and try to lure them into his own, you know, like, persuade trap and turn turn the tables on them? Or is he going to try to, you know, hack, you know, steal their phone data and blackmail them? You know, what is he going to do outside of combat? That's really, really solid. I, I like modus operandi better than tactics, because to me, tactics always feels, like, tactical. From a gameplay standpoint, it sounds like what you're talking about is you're talking about giving NPCs uh, levers that the players can pull to interact with them. Or vice versa. Yeah, but... I, I, I mention this because I think this is this is perhaps a useful tool to approach the problem from, is rather than trying to, to create a fully realized, fully simulated human mind inside your own mind, you're you're creating you're creating a sort of a text puzzle or a spoken puzzle, and you're adding you know, lev- you're adding little buttons that the players can push to achieve results or in combination to achieve an end. Or maybe to you know, completely torpedo what they're trying to do because they push the wrong button. And the more of those levers you include, the more varied your scenarios will be, rather than just the standard menu of options, which is shoot it, run away from it, or cast a spell, which is how so many Delta Green situations tend to end. Yeah, and something something that, that Jake had mentioned, I know Jake's not here tonight, but something he had mentioned, which I think is, is interesting to think about, is if you think about how the NPCs interact with, with other other NPCs, other parts of the scenario that can give kind of clues to the players. So I'm gonna, like the example of um, Anton Chigurh's character in the Western one with the money bag. Uh, no, <laughs> no country, country for, for old men. Never get yeah, yeah. yeah. Like if the players came across all the bodies he dropped, that would tell players this guy is not leaving witnesses. You know, he's not. He will kill anyone. It would tell players like they have to gear up for a fight. This guy's not going to like get talked down. But if, for example, maybe he left everyone alive and just tied up or knocked out or something. Then I tell players, you know, this person isn't murdering everyone they see. There's maybe a lever they can push there to maybe this guy can be talked down or can be cornered or or captured or whatever. So think about not just how the levers interact with the players, but how do those levers interact with the other parts of your scenario and and may leave clues, which can be good things for the characters to latch onto. The thing that... I'm I'm gonna ask you guys this because I think this is some this is a place that we've all been. Have you ever been playing an RPG, either the tabletop RPG or also like a video game? This can also happen, and found yourself in a position where you did not care what happened to the NPCs because they were all sarcastic, unhelpful assholes who lied to you <laughs> constantly. Yes. Yep. Yeah. 
or they just had nonsensical like motivations. You're like, well, this, people aren't. I can't connect to these people. They're not real. They're not real, so it doesn't matter to me. I've run games where that happened, and I've played games where that happened, and. I think it's a very easy trap to fall into because making the NPCs sarcastic assholes is fun for the person running the game and may also fit with the world they've created. But if you create too many people that aren't worth saving or even worth talking to, then you really narrow down the menu of ways that the players can interact with the world. I like that, but it's, is there a place for a sarcastic asshole? Well, I, I think the place is this podcast. hey Oh, Like, I wonder if you made, like, a, a, a helpful NPC, a good guy, who's a sarcastic asshole. So he's not someone the players are supposed to kill. He's just, you know, maybe kind of a dick. Uh, I've that might that. be might be more interesting than them being an, an, an antagonist. Last time I ran my favorite Melon Red scenario, um, the, the Autark Sunrise, I included an NPC who was... Based basically uh, Lenny Briscoe from Law and Order, who is, you know, as anyone who has seen that long-running television series knows, is a sarcastic asshole. And I had I had one player go, well, I, I want to try and use I want to try and use persuade to make him be nice to me, and he rolled, and I was like, well, no matter what you roll, he's not going to be nice to you. But he's not he's not saying no, he's not refusing to help you. He's just going to be an asshole. So I was like, oh, okay, I, I got it now. That's a good example. I think that if the NPCs are genuinely helpful, then the players will like them. Like. This is this is an important thing is that either char- you know a character can be unpleasant for whatever reason but will if if they're genuinely useful to the characters they'll tolerate it uh, an npc can be friendly and fun but ultimately not that helpful or even um even antagonistic i think that having the 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 antagonist having the villain character be memorable is great where you don't want to be is that they are unpleasant and unhelpful because that's the point where um when the case officer calls the player characters and says this guy's being attacked by monsters why aren't you doing anything you make up some bullshit excuse for why he deserved it because he was secretly the nexus of the unnatural activity of the whole time you turn off your phone and you file an NMP which is delta green for not my problem i'm i'm speaking from experience i've done this in games and i think that it was it was probably unfair of me to the person running to do it, but I think it's a natural reaction, judging by the responses that I've got when running things and falling into that trap. Yeah, I can I can see that. I mean, so I think having a memorable character, like, making somebody memorable is key, and the way you do that is you take a bunch of the advice you've given you, you know, think about them, how they interact, how they interact with each other, with other parts of your scenario. If you put that kind of thought into it, you know, even if some of the answers are just just a sentence or just a couple, you know, a couple words, just as like a shorthand, you've already put enough thought into it that they're going to be probably at least somewhat fleshed out. And like, I, I would rather have a consistent or like or like a, lo- a logically consistent in-universe NPC than a memorable one who seems random. Because random, I can't. It's not fun to interact with that if they're just like wacky, random, or you know, bad, bad, random, bad, bad dumb, random. Yeah, but if there's a lot, if there's a consistency and it makes sense, like if this person was, you know, they're being an asshole because they were, you know, tortured by cultists forever, and now they're, you know, torturing other people or something, whatever. Like if you can put those pieces together, you can kind of understand where they're coming from, and it makes there's some sense there. One of the cheap and easy ways to make an NPC memorable and likable is to give them an animal friend, like. One of the most popular NPCs I ever had was uh, this char- this character who is um, a med student who just appears in the background of things, but because she has a giant dog that follows her around everywhere she goes, people like 
get excited when they recognize the character in games because they know that the giant dog will be there. <laughs> That's great. And the giant um, the giant dog is super well trained. The only the only character flaw it has is that when it gets excited it likes to jump on people. I was I was gonna say like 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 Blofeld's cat from James Bond. Yeah. But uh well, yeah, no, that dog's a more wholesome example. But even but even the cat, like that 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 that's why that character is memorable. Because what is here's the thing. When I imagine Blofeld in my head, I actually cannot remember what he looks like except for the Hans Landa version. The Or the Austin Powers version. <laughs> yeah, the Austin Powers version is what I is what I immediately default to. Um it's not Hans Landa, it's Chris, Christoph Waltz. Is the one who played him Inspector? I think. Anyways, yeah. um, yeah, I, I, I literally cannot remember what the original Ernst Stavro Blofeld character looked like. I automatically go to Doctor Evil. Yeah, but you remember the cat. You I remember the cat, the cat in both cases. Doctor Doctor yeah. Evil had the hairless cat. He had the Sphinx. <laughs> yeah. So, a question. So, we talked about, uh, you know, if, if you're sitting down writing a scenario from whole cloth, you have a bunch of time thinking about scenarios. But I, I, I have has this ever happened to you where you introduce a minor bit character like the the bagel delivery driver, and the players want to know all about this man's life story? Um, any advice for like a quick and dirty NPC? Like, how do you how do you NPCize this person on the spot? Uh, well, that's good. Um, too late. Your players have already yeah. murdered him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How I make an NPC on the spot. Um, exaggerate. Pick one. Pay attention to what your players pick up on or notice or remark on and then lean into that. Uh, I think flanderization really is your, your, your best, your best ally there because the more you lean into and exaggerate the, like, traits or characteristics or, or whatever it is that the players have noticed about this NPC, the more you exaggerate that, the more memorable the character will be. I'll give you two, two things that I try to fall back on. One, uh, like steal from real life. So like growing up in high school, one of my friends was a delivery driver. So if I need to make a delivery driver up on the spot, I just use them. N- no one, no one, unless I'm playing with that person, no one knows. So I, I, remember, I know that, you know, I know his name. I know his quirks. If some, you know, I know he reacts to things. It's perfect. The other thing that I've never done it, but, but I've seen it done. And it's an interesting idea is like in your scenario where you can write down like 20 adjectives or 20 descripting things, like at the bottom of your scenario. And if you need something real quick, just like pick two. Oh, this is a lanky, you know, lanky meth addict, or this is a, you know, fast talking, you know, old man. All right, you got some. That's something to go on, you know. I know I've seen people do that with names. They'll just put like twenty randomly generated names at the bottom of the document so that they always can. You know, oh, what was the clerk? What was the bank teller's name? Oh yeah, it was Gina Smith or whatever. And it looks like you've done a ton of preparing. If you do it right, they'll never notice. Were you Max or Tom? Any advice for like a, a quick and dirty NPC? Well, one thing that I will do if someone's really going after just a random guy is I'll say, all right, roll 2d26. Two two and that's an indicator just right off the bat that this is not someone who I envisioned as being relevant to the mystery. But that leaves the players the option to continue pushing if they want to. Because even if you have this character who is just made up on the spot it's always possible that someone will have a genuinely good and interesting idea of what to do with them. Like, one thing, one classic plot element from any kind of detective or police-based fiction is to just enlist a random character into this mystery that you've got for yourself. Uh, if you'll recall from the aforementioned film and novel No Country for Old Men, there's a bit where the protagonist gets in the taxi cab and the guy's driving him around and he keeps giving him all these weird instructions and the guy says, listen, I don't want to get involved in any of your horse shit, dude. And the guy's like, you're already involved. I'm trying to get you out. And yeah, that character gets shot like 10 seconds later, but 
that's an example of this sort of bit character that gets conscripted into the scheme. So preserving the right of players to do that, even knowing that this character is not ever envisioned as important or having a rich inner life, is fine. And you can kind of use them as like a quantum clue carrier. So like if you know that you're trying to, if the character is zooming around like the cultist compound, you're trying to give them a clue about like, you know, cultist movements, and they're, they're hampering like the mailman, and you haven't thought about the mailman at all, well, maybe you can have the mailman give them the same clue they were going to get by doing observation. Oh yeah, about noon every day, I'm on my route and I see, you know, four cars drive out. All right, this is, they got the same clue from the different person, but it's moving the thing forward, you know. So be you know be aware that might be a good lever, so to speak, for your NPCs to to have, even the the made up ones on the spot. And one other thing that I try to do when I'm when I'm when I'm first fleshing out a scenario, I tend to kind of overpopulate it with NPCs, or at least I think I do. So what I try to do is like maybe instead of three memorable police officers that the players deal with, can I combine them into one very memorable like detective? So there's a single, like, really thought out, really fleshed out, solid NPC that can interact with a bunch, and it's really good. Like, so it's like you know, two two kind of memorable NPCs in my mind are worse than one really memorable one. If you can get the same, you know, if they can fill the same role, obviously in the scenario. Any group of people in an RPG, outside of very specific use cases, is generally made better by being smaller because smaller groups of characters mean that the players need to remember fewer NPCs, that you need to generate fewer NPCs as the the handler and can focus more of your energies on making each of them good and interesting. A smaller group in the game world also means that the players can have a greater sense that they can do something about the problem, because if you've got a cult that's 50 people, you're not going to go anywhere near them without a a kill team at your back and if you want the entire campaign to be about dealing with that 50 people then that's great but if you want something that can be dealt with at street level then you need to think smaller and so it it is one of the things that i've always told people about any kind of rpg thing is that you should control the scope of whatever it is that you're doing so that you don't end up generating a huge amount of obligations for yourself to write additional content that doesn't benefit you and in this case, I'm going to suggest that, yeah, making a smaller number of NPCs is generally great, especially if you're doing something where, like, each of them has a special power or a clever spell, because that's a lot of content that you got to create. Or just have Tom do it for you. Contract Tom on Fiverr. Tom, to the people the people need to know when we're going to get the updated version of Soggy Froggy and the Tooth Implantation Death Cult. <laughs> Jeez, is, are they? Is that a thing that people are clamoring for? Every time, I every time, just heard about it, and I'm clamoring for it. Already. Every time that, every time the um, shark teeth dentistry lady isn't on screen, the audience should be asking, "Where is the shark teeth dentistry lady?" <laughs> Jesus, that is a deep cut. Got to go way into the episode backlog to get that one. I think that scenario isn't even online anymore. I think that it's it's been um, it's been put back in the Disney uh, vault. I don't think I. There's been a couple different like lightly edited Google Docs, but I think one that is the closest to the original is still up somewhere. Like when we did the when we did the episode about our old scenarios. When I find myself like with a group of you know, where 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 I'll I'll write out five or six people to do whatever to do a scenario with. Like I have I have ideas for five or six characters. I usually end up with three or four. And then this constellation of generic helper NPCs around them 
that exists to like this guy's going to show up and he's going to have two guys with guns, but he's the one with the personality. Yeah, I'm the same way. I tend to cut down from a bunch into into only a few. And sometimes I go too far, and then there aren't enough NPCs, and then the players help me invent one when I'm playtesting, but that's the value of playtesting. Uh, when you're making NPCs, do you do you fully stat them out, or do you do the shorthand, like only give them the stats that might matter to them? I can I can actually, it's a, uh, I was going to say it's like a pyramid, but that's not the right shape. So characters that are very big deals, especially if, it, if it's a, if it's an NPC that I'm writing up with their own document, just because I think they're a fun NPC to, to have in my back pocket, then I will not only give them a full, a full uh, profession stat block, I will give them eight bonus skills as well. I'll build them exactly like I'd build a player character. If they are just an NPC that exists in a scenario, then they usually get a profession stat block, and maybe if that profession has a pick skill, like like if they're a federal agent, they might get computer science or whatever uh, as as their pick one. And then I'll switch out points as needed. So if they're if they're based on the federal agent block, but they aren't particularly perceptive, I'll take the points away from alertness and put them somewhere else. And then if they are just in the scenario to like start fights, I usually just do alertness, athletics, a weapon skill, and then stealth, if they have any of those skills. And keep in mind, none of this is the way that the handler book says to do it. The handler book has a separate system that they have in the table in the back where they tell you what skill ratings you should assign. If I'm doing an off-the-cuff NPC and I need to know what I'm going to roll for unarmed to punch the agent who just insulted this guy's mother for no reason, that's the table that I look to. Yeah, I think it can be good for like ad hoc for the moment stuff. I'm also, I mean, I've also run enough games that, like, if NPC A is going to punch player B, like, if they're, you know, a Green Beret, I'm going to give them, like, a 60 or a 70, and if they're, like, an idiot, I'm going to give them, like, a 40-ish, you know what I mean? Like... Oh, yeah, like, I, I also have that sense, but the reason I, the reason I had that sense is because I've looked at that table enough times that I kind of remember what the values are. One thing I've been, one thing that I like doing is trying to, like, instead of giving them a firearm stat, if, if they're using, like, an M16... I'll just give the stat line for the M16 with their stat in it. It just makes these a little, little tighter. And I guess I guess I'm assuming this, but I I'm, I I imagine any handler who's not really moronic would intuit that if they have a 16 to shoot a shotgun, that they have, or you know 60 to shoot a shotgun, they have a 60 to shoot any of the other guns assigned here. You know, but that's one way that I can kind of cut down. And I do tend I tend to leave out stats that I don't think are useful, um, unless it's maybe like a really like key NPC. Then I'll, I'll build them like a full character. Um, and this is another place. This is like the only place I find that document of pregens useful. So it's like the thousand delegate pregens, because sometimes I'll, I'll snag from that because the stat the stat swings are kind of kind of wonky in there, but it can give you some. It's a pretty good random ass- assignment of things, which can be fine for like a mid level NPC. And then you know tweak tweak is needed. One bit of, one bit of a general NPC advice I'll give. This was I'll tell a very very quick story, but you know back in the days back in the middle school days, you know, we'd go over to my friend's house, played, played Dungeons the Dragons, uh, you know, tw- twice a week. And a friend of mine wrote this really sweet, like sick ninja bad guy to be like the, the villain of the, you know, this big campaign arc. And he, he put a lot of work into it and he really cared about this guy. And the first time we encountered him, he like cut a rope bridge that was in front of our party and then taunted us from the other side. Like, you know, I'll, you know you'll never get me. I'm so, so awesome. And one of the one of our characters said, "Well, how far away is he?" And he just off the cuff was like fifty feet. So he's like, "Well, he's in th- within throwing range." I throw my my hammer at him, and he killed the NPC in one shot with the hammer. And my friend was so <laughs> so crestfallen. Like I think it derailed the campaign for months. But 
so like one, don't get attached to NPCs because sometimes they can be really thematic when they eat when when they beef it early. But also, you know, don't give you know if you're going to taunt the players with an with an NPC, you know, don't be surprised when they find a way to give it back to you tenfold. Like be be ready for that to happen. You have a backup plan. There's a scenario called Dead Letter for the old Delta Green system. And that scenario contains very specific instructions to not let the players kill the bad guy, which was unnecessary for a bunch of reasons. First of all, because that specific character had an extremely robust built-in damage resistance that the players were unlikely to get through anyways. But secondly, because that NPC was ultimately a pretty meaningless small part of a full organization, and killing him would essentially do nothing to derail the future possibility of interacting with that group. And I remember it just being, I think, emblematic of, like, bad 90s, early 2000s design, and what was otherwise kind of a cool scenario. And the thing that I thought of when I read that is that it is, in a, in a medium where you occupy the viewpoint of a single specific character for pretty much the entire game, it's difficult to actually see what villains and NPCs that are supposed to be important are doing most of the time. And I know that, no, I am reasonably sure that this is something that they talk about in Knights Black Agents, and they suggest actually giving cutaways to show what the antagonist is is doing at a given time. I've been, I've, I, I have a, a very strong memory of reading this somewhere. It may not have been in any of the actual game books. That's an interesting kind of pseudo filmic thing to do. That seems like reasonable advice. It is difficult to put in a game like Delta Green because Delta Green is very tonally and stylistically different from NBA. In a lot of times, Delta Green is like solving a mystery, so if you cut to like a mystery solution, then you've given the players this meta thing they have to deal with. But I can see it working in like a pulpier game. But it does it does speak to the point of like you should have an idea what your NPCs are doing when they're not in front of the players. You know, it's not like like NPCs have object permanence. You know, they don't just disappear when the players aren't dealing with them. Figure out what's going on behind the scenes and what you know. And I've seen that done. I've seen that done in um, as like a full timeline. You know, on you know midnight the second day, you know the guy does this, and then the morning he kills this person, and the next day he rents the car and drives here, and that gives your agents uh you know clues to follow, or just it could be more general. You know, like in the mornings. You know, you can find the sheriff having coffee with, you know, townies. And then in the evenings, he's, you know, out at the bar or whatever. And, you know, there's just something going on. So it's more of a living, breathing character. Do we have any other thoughts here? I, mean, I think I've exhausted mine, but I'm happy to bounce more things back and forth. Something I do if I'm really stuck for ideas is I'll try and emulate, like, a, a character from other media. Especially if the character has an accent. Like, um, for instance, when I do my Strad Van Zarovich character... I reach for the classic uh, vampire villain, who also has a bit of the count. Ah, ah, ah. If you really ham it up like that, that, that I typically find I get a favorable reaction doing that. You know you've made a memorable NPC when people either laugh or groan. Yeah, very true. That kind of leads into what I was saying earlier about, you know, leaning on people you know, but you can also lean into, you know, fiction, you know. You know, if you, if it's a doctor, you know, who's your favorite Star Trek doctor? All right, well, put sprinkle some bitch Damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. You know what the most successful NPC voice I ever had was for some reason? <laughs> what? It was uh, the voice of the Spacing Guild representative from the David Lynch Dune when he goes to tell Emperor Shaddam IV that he needs to stop fucking up. That is an obscure pull, but I like it. And he's got this horrible, like, gurgling sound in the background because it's not actually um, 
the, the spacing guild one of the one of the the um the details that David Lynch really like doubled down on was that the spacing guild is the Ben and Jesuit don't even consider them human because it's a bunch of human beings that were bred or engineered for specific tasks. So they actually can't, in the film, they actually can't even speak in a recognizable human language. They just kind of gurgle and gibber to each other. And even the, even the ones who are navigators, even just the regular guys, and they have a machine that translates the, the voice into um, like human speech. And that then gets you to a fun after show bit that I'm not going to do right now. Hey. About the universal translator. And whether it defies the uh, the jihad, because <laughs> it totally does. That is a deep cut. All right, any parting any parting shots? Any loose rounds or alibis? The main the other thing is um, it's fun to make fun NPCs. Don't get too attached to them. Don't uh, don't make the mistake of making a like a a, a DM player character. Because because I I'm I'm an advocate of building NPCs like you'd build a player character because they're often interesting for the same reasons. But remember that. You're not playing a character, you're running a game. I think I would also say, you know, not every character has to be super quirky and, and outgoing and, and interesting and memorable for, like, like, like extroverted reasons. You know, there's think about characters in, like, movies, you know, like the, the school groundskeeper, you know, or the uh, the neighbor in Home Alone. You know, he wasn't a quirky, extroverted, like, over-the-top character. He was really kind of subtle, but it was really still a really memorable character. So try to sprinkle in, you know, some wacky ones or some, you know, interesting ones for some reasons, some interesting ones for other reasons. What do you mean the groundskeeper wasn't a wacky, memorable character? Damn, Scots! They ruined Scotland! Scots', Scots is natural enemies. You just made an enemy for life. <laughs> That's a really good sticker to end on, actually. I'm glad I didn't do that when Allison was on the show. She'd fucking kill me. 